0: With a lot of folks out in a quieter four-day week this week on Beacon Hill after our long Memorial Day weekend, and here for another edition of the State House Takeout is Chris Lasinski, Katie Lannon, and Matt Murphy. Hi, guys.
1: Hey, Sam.
2: Hello. Happy Friday.
0: Hey, happy Friday to you too. Colin Young's out this week at another another wedding, I think.
2: Yeah, he's in that he's in that uh, summer of weddings, so we, that's why we haven't heard much from Colin in the past few weeks. <laughs>
0: Well, with summer vacations here...
2: Not his own, we should point not,
0: out. Not, not... Like, <laughs> with summer vacations here and uh, families, a lot of families looking ahead to the new school year, some of them with a degree of uncertainty. Uh, some UMass students and their parents are waiting to plan out their budgets for the coming year, trying to figure out what, what the tuition's going to do in the UMass system, and that's still tied up in our budget negotiations here on the Hill. And if you're a parent down in New Bedford... You might be wondering where your kid is going to school in the fall. There's a a compromise plan for an expansion of the Alma Del Mar Charter School down in New Bedford. And uh, that was a a hot topic of conversation up here on on the Hill this week. As this compromise plan that had been worked out between the city and uh, state education officials, is kind of being uh, held up in these sleepy informal sessions of, of this four day week. Uh, Katie, you were down there um, in the house for that first roadblock.
1: Yeah, that's right, Sam. And this is a uh, this Elma Del Mar uh, New Bedford deal is something that the the city and the school agreed to in January and. As you said, the school year starts in September, we're in May now, and there's been, you know, a, a clock on this from the outset, from when it was appro- approved by the board in January. Education Commissioner Jeff Riley had originally said he wanted to see the bill passed. There needs to be a bill passed because there's a, a property transfer associated with this. Part of the the agreed to deal, um, Alma Del Mar is going to open a second campus the number of seats is what's up in the air at this point, because if this bill goes through, it'll be a 450-seat campus at what's now a city-owned elementary school. Um, and if it doesn't, this, this legislation is kind of the last piece of the puzzle. The legislation would authorize the property transfer and uh, creation of a, a neighborhood zone, so the school would be function like another neighborhood school in the city rather than the traditional lottery that builds the last piece of the puzzle and if that doesn't go through they get to expand to a um 594 seat campus they have a temporary location lined up but the the size of the school as we're recording right now at two o'clock on friday afternoon it is still up in the air and this was kind of a uh a soft deadline that Commissioner Riley had given. It's moved once or twice. Right? Yeah, he suggested he wanted to see it. Eventually, he suggested he wanted to see a decision by the end of May. That's today. Um, but the the legislature has had it haltingly moving along. Uh, Rep. Jim Hawkins blocked the bill from going to committee in the House. Last week, the House eventually referred it to the Education Committee, and it went over to the Senate to concur, and over there... Senator Pat Jalen similarly blocked it, delayed it till another session. And uh, interestingly, both of those lawmakers are former teachers um, who, who want there to be a a bigger discussion, I guess, of of charter school issues. They don't want to see this rushed through.
0: Right. I know Pat Jalen was worried that if it was referred to committee in the Senate on Thursday, they might have, she thought, tried to shoehorn it in to the education committee hearing today uh, with not too much notice for folks to come up here and and
1: testify. That's right. And uh, Representative Hawkins said he was concerned that, you know, uh, as we know up here, only a few lawmakers attend those informal sessions. He wanted it to be up to the whole house, not just the couple people who happened to be there that day. And you know, in the in the House formal this week on Wednesday, they did refer it to the committee. Um it was New Bedford rep Antonio Cabral who who doesn't support the bill. He doesn't he thinks it uses his city as a laboratory for uh, a new model of charter school approvals um, and wants to see He wants, thinks if people want to pursue that model, they should file a statewide bill and not just start with New Bedford, but... um He's actually the one who edu- moved to refer it to the Education Committee with a couple other New Bedford area lawmakers.
0: So it, it is interesting, though, that this is sort of a run-of-the-mill uh, home rule petition authorizing a real estate transfer is really this question before the legislature. And how many times do we hear home rule petition referred to committee in an informal session? Uh, and then along comes this one. Um, and uh, it's sort of an out-of-the-ordinary uh, thing to see.
1: Yeah, you're really seeing a lot of the kind of fault lines, as it were, from the the 2016 defeat of the charter school expansion ballot question. Um, Many of those issues are unresolved. You know, the questions of the effect of charter school um, on district school finances, the opportunities for students who don't feel they're being served by their district schools. Um, New Bedford, of course, is one of the cities that is... um, weighing whether to school to sue the state over school funding issues. So it's a a weighty issue in that particular city.
0: Certainly. And the plan B in this case, if the compromise between the state and city officials falls through, uh, this so-called plan B uh, would actually be for a bigger charter school.
1: That's right. Um, there's going to be a, a charter expansion in New Bedford either way.
0: All right. Well, uh, we'll see if any decision is forthcoming uh, at this uh, end of May uh, soft deadline. Now, a new frontier on the horizon for debate uh, consideration up here on Beacon Hill has been sports betting. And this topic of conversation has been around for, for a few years, but uh this week, the Economic Development and Emerging Technologies Committee uh, had a blockbuster two days of testimony, invited testimony the first day. The public came in the second day um, just to get all the stakeholders' ideas on, on where things stand. Uh, and, Matt, uh, a number of lawmakers and the governor have their own ideas for what a framework should look like for legal sports betting in Mass. Uh, how likely are we to actually see something move on this uh, this session, are, are the chairs and Margaret Ferranti and uh, Eric Lesser looking to write a sports betting bill?
2: I mean, that's a great question. I, I don't think we know. Uh, we do know that the speaker has said that he wants to see a bill on the floor this session for a vote. So uh, if you, you can take that. Uh, For what it's worth, there will probably be some debate in the branches. But this all goes back to a Supreme Court ruling uh, last summer, in fact, that basically kicked the issue of sports betting back to the states and said if they want to legalize it on a state by state basis, they can. And uh, Joe Wagner, Representative Joe Wagner from Chicopee, started out uh, looking into this issue last year for the speaker. Uh, he had said that there was uh, they were had an eye towards doing something early this session uh, that didn't come to pass and uh, you're right this week uh, we finally kind of got down to it with a two-day large large hearing uh, kind of getting into all of these uh, different issues associated with uh, both sports betting at uh, existing casinos and uh, gaming places and online sports betting
0: Sure. Now one of the most important voices uh, to come in and testify was um, a panel from the Gaming Commission, the state's gambling regulators. Uh, What sort of a tune were they singing on all this?
2: Well, Gaming Commissioner Gail Cameron, who's a former New Jersey state police officer, really uh, touched on one of the big issues the lawmakers are going to have to resolve in this debate and if they're going to move forward with sports betting at all. And that's what to do with college sports. That mm-hmm. appears to be one of the big fault lines of whether or not you allow betting on college athletics. And there are a, a number of different ways to go. You have Governor Charlie Baker, who's filed legislation to keep sports betting strictly to professional sports. Then you have people like Senator Brendan Crichton of Lynn, who's filed a bill to exclude only Massachusetts colleges. So he would keep NCAA sports betting alive. You could bet on the national championship football game. You could bet on March Madness. But you wouldn't be able to bet on the Minutemen uh, when they're playing at home. So <laughs> He said uh,
0: something to the effect of they're just not on that level.
2: He did kind of suggest that he's talked to local schools here. They're not interested in participating one there's an integrity of the game issue here and wanting to protect these college athletes uh, from uh, you know nefarious interests in your own backyard and he also said that it was unlikely to really have much of a negative impact on the sports betting market in Massachusetts because. I guess, let's face it, we don't have large college athletic programs here in Massachusetts on the scale of like an Alabama or a Clemson or, or that magnitude.
0: And yeah, Matt, there, there was some talk of what kind of a stress or pressure uh, being bet upon uh, places upon student-athletes.
2: Yeah, and that's you see in the governor's proposal why he's restricting it. uh, Economic Development Secretary Keneally testifying that they're trying to take a conservative approach. They're trying to relieve some of that pressure that schools could face, trying to regulate uh, well, uh, you know, trying to protect their programs against the influences of of betting and the pressures that can come uh, from people wagering lots of money on these sporting contests. So that's uh, certainly an issue to be resolved. I will note one issue that did seem to be resolved this week, however, was uh, the issue of online sports betting and who gets to do it. We thought we might be seeing a fight between the existing gaming operators, casinos, the, the Wynn Resorts, and the MGMs versus the, on, the mobile platforms like DraftKings, uh, which happens to be a local company. Mm-hmm. But at the start of these hearings, uh, MGM, Wynn Resorts, and, uh, and Plainridge all came out and said that they would support uh, online betting that included mobile platforms like DraftKings. So you wouldn't have to have a, a physical brick and mortar place in Massachusetts like a casino or a slots parlor in order to do mobile betting. Uh, so that kind of resolves uh, that contentious issue that we've seen play out in some other states.
0: Hmm. Or a brick-and-mortar place like uh, the TD Garden. Well, one of the most uh, interesting storylines, I think, to come out of those two days of hearings um, was the storyline around Delaware North. Now, uh, Delaware North and its uh, chairman, Jeremy Jacobs, right, um, they uh, effectively have control of, what, TD Garden, the Bruins, a share of Nesson, I think. Um, they've They've kind of got... A lot of the boxes ticked, and there was a question of whether or not they were going to try to jump in as a provider of uh, a sports betting platform, and they uh, changed their tune over the course of those, well, really over the course of one business day.
2: Yeah, exactly. Jeremy Jacobs, of course, the owner of the Boston Bruins, chairman of the board of Delaware North, which owns the TD Garden, and uh, Delaware North executive Amy Latimer went before the committee on the second day of the hearings and told them that the company, which we should know does own other gaming interests in other states was interested in being an operator of a, of a sports book here in Massachusetts. And she got a lot of questions, including from Senator Lesser and others, about what that would mean for potential conflicts, uh, given how Jacobs owns the Bruins, given that professional sports teams here are playing in the garden. And after what seemed to be pretty clear testimony, including written testimony that was handed to the commission indicating their interest in being a, a sports book operator here in Massachusetts, the company put out another statement basically saying they didn't want to actually operate the book. They just wanted to partner with another company to make sports betting available to customers at the td garden so that's quite a different uh situation but just a few hours later but another player i mean it all at the end of the day it's interesting that this is just another player interested Mm -hmm. in pursuing sports betting opportunities here in massachusetts as momentum you know seems to be growing behind this idea even though we did hear at other points over the course of the two days from gambling opponents who worry about the continued expansion of gaming opportunities and what they can have uh, for uh, people addicted to gaming and other social ills that come from gaming.
0: And now we turn to what might be the longest running saga in the history of the Statehouse Takeout. Uh, we should count the number of episodes that the Weymouth proposed Weymouth Gas Compressor Station has come up as a topic on here since <laughs> we started the podcast a year Year and a half ago. Chris Lisinski, uh, with the appeals process still ongoing after it was supposed to wrap up earlier this month. Um, after uh, residents, local communities filed an appeal uh, against the state's permitting, uh, environmental permitting of uh, the proposed station. Uh, Now we have a little bit
3: more of an idea of uh, how that timeline might actually go. We do finally have a a clearer sense of what exactly is going to happen. All this stems, you know, as we spoke about a couple weeks ago from the DEP's last minute release of 700 plus pages of air quality testing results, um, DEP Released this on the uh, just before the last day of the appeals hearing, and as the hearing officer overseeing the case wrote in a uh, Thursday order, it upended the process. So as a result, uh, this hearing that was supposed to wrap up in mid-May will now resume on June 10th for a half day of cross-examination, maybe June 11th for another half day if needed, basically stretching out something that should have ended already uh, right up until about two weeks before the DEP faces a court-ordered deadline to say whether this air quality permit issued to Enbridge for the uh, compressor station is valid or is, uh, is invalid, as parties in this case have appealed.
0: Now, as time has gone on and and folks have more of a sense of what's inside of those 700 and something pages of um, 11th hour data that was released, um, what actually is in that data? Does it warrant this much of a delay?
3: Uh, I I think that the 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 process itself warrants more of a delay. Um, As as Jane Rothschild, the hearing officer, noted, um, and DEP's own testimony in response shows that staff in the department knew that this data existed or was possible in April. They requested it on May 2nd from a private lab that um, that they contracted to run these tests. They received it on May 13th, all the while knowing that the hearing was starting uh, a few days after that, and waited until that hearing was two-thirds over to notify other parties in this case. As Rothschild wrote in her order, at the very least, they could have let everyone in the case know, hey, we think that there might be some more data, we've requested it, but we haven't received it yet, and she said maybe she could have pushed the start date back a day or two just to allow all of that information to come to the surface, rather than waiting until things were almost over, almost wrapped up to suddenly dump this on everyone. Um, I think that the the uncertainty and the chaos has really stemmed from the last minute nature of all of this. But that being said, you know, the new data does seem to be somewhat significant, uh, seems to show higher levels, in particular of 13 butadiene. I might be pronouncing that wrong, uh, carcinogen.
2: I think it's butadiene.
3: <laughs> Boot, 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 edge, edge. Uh, The DP. (laughs) That's the podcast? We're done? (laughs) So opponents of the station say that the new test results, because there are apparently higher levels of toxins in it than previously uh, reported, are enough of a reason for the, the state to really reconsider why it granted this air quality permit. If they didn't know the full range of conditions at the site, could they have reached sound and valid conclusions that this station would not further impact health in a negative way in a an area that already has above average rates of uh, respiratory disease? The DEP says that though, that, you know, only a couple of samples show those higher rates, and that otherwise, the new data is pretty consistent with what they find in urban areas such as Boston and Lynn, and therefore shouldn't change the outcome of this permit at all. So we'll see, um, you know, the next two days of hearings that have been scheduled are all going to focus just on this new data. So I think at those sessions, we'll get a clearer sense of how much of an impact this information makes on the permit itself. And we'll be waiting to see, you know, uh, what kind of resolution that brings. As we stand on the precipice of June, that's coming up, as
0: is uh, first conference committee hearing as uh, lawmakers work to negotiate a final budget bill to send over to Governor Baker. Uh, And that first uh, meeting of
3: negotiators is on? Wednesday morning, Wednesday at 10 o'clock, I believe. Uh, Three members each from the House and Senate. It's the, the Ways and Means Chair, Vice Chair, and Ranking Minority Member will probably start the meeting. Uh, open to the public and then proceed behind closed doors to hash out the differences between each branch's what forty-two point eight billion dollar spending plan for next year. Give or take. And Wednesday evening, the news
0: service, Statehouse News Service, celebrates our 125th anniversary. Would be remiss if I didn't plug that. What's that and called? what's that called, Sam? It's yeah. a Quasque, Centennial, 125 years. Feel free to send cake.
2: And Sam wrote a book, so read it, go to Amazon, buy it. What's its title?
0: On top of Beacon Hill. That's it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Thanks to Caitlin Bedian for producing this week.
1: Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for
2: listening. See you next week.